Hello, listeners. Hello. Welcome to uh, Comedy Bang Bang. That's not our name. What is our name? Armchair Apocrypha. Armchair Apocrypha. That's right. We're the podcast where armchair experts tell possibly true stories. Possibly. Possibly. Um, I'm Andrew. I'm Rachel. And we're joined by our friend Cameron. Uh, hi. Uh, how are we doing? Cameron is our third guest uh, armchair expert, mm-hmm. and we're pretty excited to have him here. Um, I'd are... like to guess what he's going to talk about before his segment. <laughs> you want to guess? Oh, I want to yes. know what your guess is. <laughs> I, yeah, I'm, I, well, when we get to you, I'll guess okay. before you start. <laughs> uh, Cameron does uh, trivia with us on Tuesdays. He is a fan of pop culture knowledge, um, movies, music, TV, uh, comic books, um, everything. I think that's fair. I think all, that's a... all sorts of pop yeah. culture. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, how were your guys' weeks? It was so, it was busy. 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 Uh, it's right after Thanksgiving, so we yeah. are all a little bit, uh, worn out. Worn out. Full. <laughs> <laughs> Very full. A little day drunk. Um, uh, yeah. Um, What's the punch drunk? Is that what I'm thinking of? With Adam Sandler? No. Ew. Just like uh, <laughs> the feeling of uh, having done stuff all week and being uh, a little drunk. Ah. Uh, yeah, I don't know what that is. Okay. We'll call it that. Punch drunk, I think, is a boxing thing. I'm not sure. Maybe. Uh, all right. So let's get started. Let's do it. Um, so as uh, I promised on Wednesday, I would be doing a... Uh, a podcast about Lucy Parsons. Yes. And Rachel and Mary were very excited. Now for that I one. remember. <laughs> um, so Lucy Parsons, as you remember, was the uh, wife of Albert Parsons um, in Chicago. Albert was one of the Haymarket murders, mm-hmm. um, and Lucy Parsons was an activist and a feminist and a journalist all around. Um, it's actually really good timing for this because. A new biography about her is coming out by a University of Texas professor. Um, I think her name is Jacqueline Jones. Yeah. Um, Do you know when it's going to come out? uh, Sometime within the next year. Okay. Uh, I just saw an article about it in the Chicago Tribune. Um, But Lucy, uh, she told a lot of stories about, like, her past, which were kind of uh, contradictory a lot. Um... The stories that she would tell were that she were she was black, um, Mexican, and Native American, um, but the new biography says that that's not true. That she was black, uh, she was the daughter of a slave, okay. um, and she said that she was from Texas. And the new biography says that she wasn't from Texas. She was from a plantation in Virginia and moved to Texas when she was very young. So her past is a little bit muddled. She would tell stories about her past um, that might not have been true. Uh, all that kind of stuff. Um, She met uh, her husband in um, 1870 uh, while she was in uh, while she was in Baltimore, I think. Uh, And they married in 1871. Um, She would uh, write for his newspaper, which was called The Blaze um, or The Alarm. He was The Alarm. Um, and she Did would he write for sound it. the alarm? He sounded the alarm. Uh, she had a famous article called To, to Tramps, 
um, which was talking to uh, railroad tramps, um, people who would uh, jump the trains and ride the rails, all that stuff. Oh, yeah. Two Tramps is also the name of My Lady and the Tramp, homoerotic fan. <laughs> oh, God. Was it good? Did you read it? <laughs> I wrote it. <laughs> so, no. That's how you do it. Um, after the Haymarket affair, when um, Albert was executed, uh, she went through a lot of different organizations. Um one of the problems that she had with the anarchist movement at the time was that a lot of anarchists wanted to uh, go into uh, trying to pull the Democratic Party to the left, which uh, is still an issue that we're working with uh, today. Um, they wanted to try to swing electoral victories to try to pull... Um, pull the system over to the workers' favor, and she said that that was basically useless, wasted effort. Um, she felt that reform would weaken the independent labor parties. Uh, she was a syndicalist, so she felt that building working class power from the ground up was the only way forward. Um, <clears throat> she, um, she was uh, involved in the um, formation of the in Industrial Workers of the World, which um, in 1905 there was a Continental Cong Congress of Labor that was called by a man called Big Bill Haywood, which <laughs> is a great name. Big Bill. Big Bill. Um, I hope he was big. <laughs> and she helped uh, basically bring the anarchists, the syndicalists, and the trade unionists together um, into the IWW uh, as a Basically, the idea was the big, the one big union. Um, and she was the first woman to sign membership and the second person to sign membership uh, of the IWW. Did you say she was the first and the second? <clears throat> she was the first woman. Yes. She was the second so person. person. Oh, okay. Mm -hmm. um, she began working on The Liberator in 1905, which was the paper published by the IWW. And it was based in Chicago. Um, a lot of her work between the 1870s and the 1900s was based in Chicago. Um, during the uh, 1907 to 1908 period, there were a lot of economic crashes. Mm -hmm. And she felt that it was like the perfect time for anarchism. It was the perfect time to break down all these systems that kept like... Uh, screwing over the workers um, and she moved to San Francisco with the IWW and took over the unemployment committee um, and she led uh, hunger demonstrations um, which uh, were very successful and which fed into uh, later demonstrations by the American Federation of Labor the Socialist Party and Jane Addams Hull House which I mentioned last week um, in 1925, she joined, or she didn't join yet, uh, she began working with the Communist Party. Uh, by this time, the anarchist movement had really fizzled out um, yeah, nationally. Yeah, like 15 years or yeah. so. Um, and so she saw the Communist Party as the, um, the way forward, the new revolutionary party. Um, and so she signed up for them uh, after working with them for about um, 
14 years in 1939. Um, in spring of 1931, uh, there was um, a trial of eight young African-American men and boys who were hoboing a train and who were accused of raping a white woman, um, even though... What? As is a common theme in the stories that I tell, there was no evidence that they had done anything, um, and one of the girls uh, eventually uh, recanted her, st- her testimony. Um, the eight young African-American men went to jail in Scottsboro, Alabama, and were um, found guilty of rape and were sentenced to death. Uh, so Lucy Parsons um, and her newspapers uh, made a big deal about the Scottsboro case, and eventually yeah. they were able to get the charges reduced. All eight men were still found guilty and they were still held in jail, but they were not given the death sentence. A, hap- a happy ending, then. Yeah. A happy ending. I was going to say, aren't we supposed to lighten it up? Didn't we talk about that last lightening time? Lightening up? That, it had a happy ending. I don't know what else you want. <laughs> eight um, innocent men were in jail. Yeah. <laughs> um, they got out of jail, though. It wasn't life in prison. Oh, oh okay. Uh, they still spent time in prison, but they weren't uh, life in prison. Yeah. Oh. And they didn't get the death penalty, then, which is yes, the happy ending. That is the happy ending. Um, it's the happy ending we all hoped for. Uh, she was killed in an accidental fire in her house on March 7th um, at the age of 89. Her lover, uh, George Markstall, um, was trying to rescue her, and he sustained wounds and died the next day. So they died one day apart, but they died from the same incident. Um, at this time, Lucy was really interested in free speech for leftists because uh, the government would come in and basically shut down all the leftist newspapers. They would blackball leftist journalists. Uh, they kept suppressing the, uh, the organizing power of leftists. Um, and when she died, the FBI came in and seized all 1,500 of the books from her library. She had 1,500 books? Yep. Oh my gosh. A woman after my own heart. I know, so mm-hmm. jealous. Um, so, as I said last week, um, her organizing and her activism inspired a lot of uh, different groups around America, um, specifically in Chicago, the uh, Lucy Parsons Labs yeah. is still a data... Uh, specialist uh, advocacy group that uh, analyzes police data and social activist movements and all sorts of stuff um, and tries to improve the lives of working class people around America. So there's your happy ending. Thank you to Lucy. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks Lucy. To Lucy Parsons. And clinking of your aluminum can. Yes. Okay, I'm not stretching too far um, from kind of Wednesday or last one, mm-hmm. but I wanted to talk about folklore because mm-hmm. I don't, I'm not familiar with a lot of it, so I just want to look up different kinds of folklore. I found two, and um, I love listening to stories about it, but um, I don't know any of my own to tell. But do you guys have like a favorite folklore or anything along those lines, or <laughs> know of one? We, we know Cameron is into cryptids. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, I don't know folklore. That's that's broad. It is very broad. It's broad. You got a favorite piece of uh, fiction? <laughs> into fiction? <laughs> <laughs> no. No. 
Well, just think about I it. I'm a, I'm a big Bigfoot guy myself. Yeah. Okay, yeah. yeah the classic. Um, so I went into two different folklores from two different parts of the world. So the first one is an Irish one mm-hmm. called, um, it's called the fo- folklore Fetch. Fetch? F-E-T-C-H. Like, that is so fetch. <laughs> Stop trying to make fetch happen. It's not going to happen. It's from that uh, Meme Girls, right? Yeah. The Meme Girls, yes. <laughs> um, so, fetch is um, considered a doppelganger spirit. So, okay. it's a lookalike. So, how, it, how they tell the story is, fetch takes the appearance of someone who is about to die. This can be a lookalike of someone you love, like a spouse, a child, and or your child, a neighbor, a best friend. Um, they look like them. They have, like, the same features and everything. However, mm-hmm. they may seem distant or distracted when they're fetching not actually that person. Mm-hmm. So it's, like, one of those things when you see a person, they seem a little off. So this isn't uh, seasonal depression or something? This is it's clearly, not sad. <laughs> no. This is clearly somebody <laughs> has replaced you. Yes, yes. They're, they're not just down right. that day. It's something that doesn't seem right. Okay. Um, they can appear ghostly, and apparently some stories and articles talked about how um they'll vanish into like an alleyway if they feel that they are being followed by someone Mm -hmm. um but um here's the thing a fetch is not the ghost of the person appears to be because the person is still alive they're just on the brink of death and what's really interesting about this folklore is um this thing this being Uh isn't mean or mischievous it literally is just projected versions of like this precognition of this person who's about to die. How do you mean projected? Um, well, no, they never said anything about how you can touch it because apparently you can't get close to them. Like, okay. You just see them from a distance. And if I think you try and follow them, they try, try and like wander away. Okay. So you see them on the streets? They don't like appear in your apartment or something? Um, it, there are <clears throat> different articles say uh-huh. different things. Okay. Here's the thing. Um, almost like and this, fiction. Yeah, almost <laughs> like fiction. And it states specs um, a couple centuries ago. Um, uh, but the thing is, like, if you see the fetch and that has, that means that the person that you're seeing is about to die. Right. Um, and then even one article said it may even show signs of how the person will die. So it's like maybe if they have all these cuts and bruises on them, it's some kind of accident or if they're soaking wet maybe it's like a drowning that is terrifying isn't that mm-hmm. <laughs> and here you go cameron you'll love this oh boy an article i read <laughs> said the movie series final destination could be considered <laughs> to be about an elaborate fetch scenario <laughs> the victim usually dies predicted by fetch <laughs> to be fair the movie final destination is about a lot of things <laughs> it, it is just a roving <laughs> Multi-film franchise is just about the human spirit. <laughs> it's, a, it's a touching story about human Oh, generation. God. <laughs> I can't believe we saw that in theaters in 3D. Oh, man, it was awesome. <laughs> That's not the word I would use for it. Oh, it's so good. Was that the one with the race cars? Yeah, that's the one where they go to a NASCAR race and, and, and stuff goes down. In 3D? In 3D. In 3D. So, like, you see a tire fly right into someone's face. Oh, it's <laughs> so it was good. awful. Ugh. So good. So anyways, <laughs> when I saw that, I just like laughed hysterically out loud by myself. <laughs> um, so this is another kind of fun thing that they added that if you, um, 
if you see a fetch early in the morning as the sun is rising, it's said to be a sign of a long and happy life for the person that it portray- is portraying. Mm-hmm. If it's seen at night, then a speedy death awaits them. That is fun. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but um, who can see it? Some say that only the person who is about to die like sees themselves. And um, mostly others said that everyone can see them but that person who's about to die. And then even if you say... Everyone can see that, so that doesn't very much clear things up. So those are opposites. Yep. Those first two. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yep. And then those first two. I couldn't get any to like specific stores because they're hundreds <laughs> years old, and it's kind of like a not well known for folklore. Right. Um, but this is the one thing I really liked on how to end this folklore. Uh, a lot of people claim that um, how fetch actually works is that it is actually born when we are born and lives alongside us is always endeavoring to replace us. Oh. Now, <laughs> do we know that those people just didn't have twins? <laughs> you don't. Just, fetch is just a really quiet twin. <laughs> I was thinking... The reclusive twin? <laughs> yeah. Identical was, twin. Yeah. I was thinking of uh, the... Uh, it was either Fox or ABC had a show called Fringe. Where there were uh, alternate I think that was universes, on Fox. yeah, um, and the people from the one universe wanted to like replace people from our universe. Yeah, yeah. That's horrible. No, I saw that. I remember that because in the alternate universe, they had a bunch of comic books where it was like Red Lantern and yeah. Red Arrow, and it's like, I don't. know, I thought that was funny. <laughs> it was a bunch of DC their, heroes. Their but... Batman was uh, the Mantis. Yeah. Mantis. <laughs> I thought that's a, that's fun. Um, but that's all that they really had about that folklore, which okay. I was interesting. What's your next one? Um, my next one, I don't know if I'm pronouncing it right, is Baktak. It's from Iran. It's an Iranian folklore. And this one is kind of like reminds me of the Nightmare on Elm Street. I think I read this one. Um, it's horrifying. I was researching uh, the Jersey Devil, I think. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, it could be, because when I looked up articles about this, they kept showing pictures and drawings of it. Yeah. But the thing is, is that every description says that you can't really see it. And I'll okay. get to that in a minute. So, cool. yeah, this I've, is just what people... I have not researched this, but I have seen every nightmare on Amazon. <laughs> so, I will let you know so how yeah, I can he, he post it. Does, does, he post, does he make quips? Does he use the word bitch too much? No. <laughs> just a little bit. Just, just a little he bit. He only uses it once. Okay. Um, the Bak, it's spelled B-A-K-T-H-A-K. Baktak mm-hmm. is right. a demon who sits on your chest while you sleep and gives you nightmares. Mm-hmm. So if you wake up during your nightmare, he turns invisible so you can't see him. So you, no one really ever knows what he looks like. However, some people claim that they were able to survive somehow. Okay. Um, if you, um, this is also a way that the people... From this folk, who told this folklore to explain how we got nightmares in the mm-hmm. first place? Did you ever watch that uh, that documentary that I recommended about night terrors? What's it called? I don't remember. No, but I would like love to. Oh. It was on Netflix. Um, but yeah, when uh, people have night terrors, they usually see something like sitting on their chest. Mm. Um, sometimes it's like a cat. Sometimes it's like a demon. Yeah. Yeah. No, but I'm really interested in seeing that documentary. Yeah. I have to look that up. Um, Another creepy part about this is if you wake up from your nightmare while also 
being suffocated because it's feasting on your chest, um, you're not able to move. Sleep like, paralysis. Yeah, sleep, sleep paralysis. paralysis which, I've had that. I was about to say, I've, that's never happened to me, but that <laughs> would scare the shit out of me. <laughs> That's happened to you before? Oh, yeah. Yeah, you wake up and you can't move and there are all these shadowy figures just around your oh bed. Oh, gosh. Yeah. Oh, it's awful. It's terrifying. There was... They all, this is not even similar to that. I do remember, like, way back in high school, I woke up and then got out of bed, stood up, and collapsed to the floor. Yeah. And then I got up again and collapsed again. And I thought... <laughs> I could not feel my legs and I thought that I had lost, like, all movement in my legs <laughs> and I just would have no legs for about 10 seconds and then I realized... I've been sleeping on my legs the entire yeah. night. And they were just asleep. <laughs> I was like, "Why?" Well, I, I I could not physically get myself up. But no, that's not as scary as not being able to move once. Right. No. Not um, not not fun. No. Well, like how, how how long does it last? Not long. Okay. Yeah, a few minutes usually. It's, it's pretty much a dream. What happens is your body like paralyzes you while you're asleep, so you don't go like punching and yeah, in your like sleep. hurt yourself um, or others. But when when you have night terrors or sleep paralysis, uh, the chemicals that make you paralyzed are still in your system. Ooh. So your brain is awake, but your body. But your body's still sleeping. Yeah. yeah. The opposite happens to me more often, where I wake myself up because I kicked something. <laughs> That's the worst. That's awful. I used to have like a TV stand at the edge of my bed when I had a bed that was too short, and just whack it. In the <laughs> <old night. laughs> um. So yeah, that's the thing. So you wake up, and you can't even like get up and move around because you have this sleep paralysis. Right. And there's no way to stop this demon. Um, they say that he'll keep coming back until he finishes his tasks. His task, basically. Um, what I thought was really interesting was the mythology behind this demon. So, in mythology, Black Talk uh, was born from Nahundi's dreams. Um, and it's a tale, um, has it that it destroyed the old world in which Nahundi was attempting to rebuild. Okay. And who's Nahundi? Great question. <laughs> he was an ancient Persian, um, known as the God of the Sun. So this is what dating back like thousands of years ago. Right. His name means creator of the city. Very, um, only a few things are known about him. He is said to be as old as the sun, so I guess more than like a couple thousand years old. Like 10,000, right? That's how old the sun is. <laughs> right? Maybe 11,000 years old. Um, I think I the world is 6,000, 6, Rachel. Oh, shoot. <laughs> I overshot. Like, I know we're supposed to be light on the research here, but um, get, get, get the basic facts straight. <laughs> um, so, from what I read, when the old world was at the brink of ruin, a giant deer-like spirit appeared from the sun. His presence kept the surrounding area stable, and the people of the old world worshipped him, Nahundi. Mm-hmm. And to keep the world balanced and protected, he gave up his immortal, immortal being and became a human himself. Okay. But so he became a human and like became an adult man, and then also when he was going to sleep, as a human being, he kept. Um, having terrifying nightmares that would bring destruction to the whole world, a.k.a. Baktak. I feel so bad for this guy. <laughs> mm-hmm. All he ever wanted was to help people. Yeah. And now he's got a demon on his chest. Now, yeah. yeah. He can't... No, yeah. <laughs> can't do anything. It is said that Baktak destroyed the world within one night, leaving Nahundi having to continue a cycle of recreating the new world. Um... But his reign of terror and death is stopped by a combination of effort of Nahundi and the newly born spirit of the dreams, Kaguyais, 
um, K-A-G-U-Y-S. And basically together, which is a heroic spirit, they like vanquish Boktok. So this isn't, it's a folklore. It never doesn't happen anymore, but they say that he could return if the balance of reality is broken again. Okay. Which I thought was kind of interesting. That is interesting. So he explains nightmares, but explains why um, no one's dying in their sleep anymore. I wonder, I wonder if it originally was like to explain night and day, like every night. Uh, a buck talk destroys the world, and every morning, Nahundi rebuilds, rebuilds it. Rebuilds it, yeah. I, I would believe that. I like that. I like that one a lot. <laughs> um, it also sounds like a Final Fantasy game. So. Yeah. I really wanted to do, um, well, those were my two, but I really wanted to do some like Native American folklore, because yeah. I think it's really interesting, uh, but I, it was really hard. I'm going to look a little harder, because <laughs> um, apparently we try to erase that part of history for some reason. Yeah. Um, but I think if I get to go to the library, hopefully in like the next couple months or something, I'll do something on like either Native American history or some of their folklore, and like talk about their spirits and their gods, which That'd I awesome. find really interesting yeah. as well. So that's what I get. Something, something that I learned uh, just randomly in the car with Mary a few days ago. Um, apparently, Kentucky doesn't have any native tribes because uh, it was a hunting grounds for uh, tribes from Indiana, Ohio, and Tennessee. But we have so many places named after so many tribes. Yeah, which is weird. Huh. I didn't know that at but all. But can and you know that Kentucky is a is like a Native American word? No. Meaning. Um, maize like corn oh really yeah huh. cool i have to look it up it's like kentucky wah and basically in several tribes it means field and then in other tribes it means corn interesting because i i have to look that up but i swear <laughs> yeah I, I believe that is this the part where i get to guess what cameron's going to talk about yep. uh yeah i want to hear your guess Okay, well now with that con- like confidence, I feel like I'm like super going to be wrong. I'm going to be so mad if you're right. <laughs> Are you going to talk about um, any kind of DC or Marvel character? No. Are you going to be talking about um, a movie? A movie? No. Jack Black? A series? A series? Of Are you talking about The Fast and the Furious? No. Okay, no. <laughs> All right, I'll no. do one more. <laughs> one more guess. You get one more guess. He said a movie. Okay. Um, are you talking about like Pokemon? No. Okay. <laughs> what are you? What are you here to talk about? <clears throat> God. With your piece of paper. <laughs> yes. Uh, oh, you, you guys. Shit! I should have been. You guys that had out. Uh, had all your notes typed out. <laughs> I uh, scribbled mine on a scrap paper I found on my lunch break. That's, That's good. Fair. Yeah. <clears throat> In the late 1920s, a man named Marion C. Cooper had an idea for a, a new type of movie, a new type of monster. Mm-hmm. He described him as, His hands and feet have the size and strength of steam shovels. His girth is that of a steam boiler. This is a monster with the strength of a hundred men. But most terrifying is the head. A nightmare head with bloodshot eyes and jagged teeth set under a thick mat of hair. A face half beast, half human. He was talking of Kong. (laughs) (laughs) So, 1933, March. uh, The movie King Kong, also known as Kong, King of the Beasts, (laughs) comes out. Uh, Important to note here, 
King Kong was not his original name. He was known as Kong, referred to as Kong in the movie. It was RKO Pictures, the production company, that said, you know, hey, call him King Kong to, you know, punch it up. And that is important. Because I'm not just telling the story of Kong here. I am telling the story of the legal rights and ownership of the name King Kong. Ah. <laughs> this is a media law story, guys. Touche. <laughs> this is a copyright and public domain story. Here we go. Ah. How did they decide on King Kong? Was that like they knew that it was going to be kaiju? Or... They liked, um, um, they I liked alliteration. Kaiju didn't exist at this point. Yeah. Uh, they, no, they just wanted to establish that he was the strongest and biggest. and King, Powerful. King gave him some authority. Nice. So after the release of King Kong, uh, Cooper, Marion Cooper, wanted to make a sequel. So he approached RKO and said, hey, this movie did huge, can we make a sequel? And they said, of course, um, no, no one likes sequels. This is the 1930s, there's no home video, there's no streaming, no one remembers a movie a year after it came out. If you're going to make a sequel, you have until the end of this year to get it out. Oh my gosh. Oh, I long for those days. So, in eight months, <laughs> with half of the budget of the original, they oh produce gosh. Son of Kong. Son of Kong. And I just have to shout out to the poor, poor animators. It is stop motion animated. Oh. The monster is just like the first one. So, those poor, underpaid, overworked, uncredited animators just... Good job. Both movies are excellent. Just <laughs> holy crap! Eight months of work to finish an entire—that is ridiculous. That's that's a whole other story. I, I want to tell you that they're probably not listening to the podcast. <laughs> no, no. And uh, I'm, children, I, I'm talking to their estates. You don't see any residuals from this. I'm letting them know that job well done. So the important thing about Son of Kong is that um, now Kong is no longer a standalone movie. It is now a franchise, and that's that's a. Uh, that's just the thing, is that one of the first movie franchises, one of the first thoughts were, hey, we can bring this character back. You know, we can do more with him. Mm. We jump over the ocean to Japan. A uh, Japanese studio um, called Shochiku has the distribution rights to King Kong in Japan. And when they release it, they pair it with a short film called Wasai King Kong, which means Japanese King Kong. <laughs> it is a short comedy about a man who decides to, uh, I think, trick people into thinking there's a gorilla on the loose or that he has a gorilla by putting on a gorilla suit. Uh, the movie is lost. It is completely lost. Uh, a lot of it. a lot of Japanese movies from the early 30s kind of just disappeared oh, after uh, yeah. World War II because mm-hmm. movies were made out of just the most flammable material possible. They yeah. were... <laughs> So, but the important thing here is that Japan knows and loves King Kong. They made a second King Kong movie in 1938. Um, A cheap, crappy studio uh, made a movie called King Kong Appears in Edo, which uh, Edo was the name of Tokyo in feudal times. So this is a period piece. It was a two-part epic about a giant yeti on the loose in Edo, Japan. Did it look like King Kong? Or did Not it... at all. It was given the King Kong name because at that time, uh, King Kong was the big star yeah. and just kind of Japan was kind of establishing that King Kong just means giant ape, which right. is an important thing to think about. Uh, no more word from King Kong for a while in America. Uh, mm-hmm. Cooper tried to get a third picture off the ground. Um, 
wanted to do a crossover, King Kong v. Tarzan, but uh, his studio did not own the rights to Tarzan anymore. Tarzan belonged to Pioneer Pictures. And that is where we take a break until the 1960s. So the last movie was in the 30s? Yep. Uh, both both okay. Kongs came out in 1933, then... along with Wesley King Kong, and then in 1938, King Kong appears on Edo. Long pause. Yeah. 1962, King Kong goes back to Japan for his third picture, which also happens to be the third picture of Japan's biggest monster at the time, Godzilla. For King Kong versus Godzilla. That's, yes. If you think that's like why they brought him back. So like I, we need someone to match with Godzilla. I could see that. I could see that. What I know is it's more complicated than that. A man named Willis O'Brien seeks the rights from RKO to make a King Kong movie. Now, RKO was no longer producing movies. I don't know if they belong to Warner Brothers yet or not. I know Warner Brothers eventually acquires them. Yeah. Um, he wanted to make a movie called King Kong versus Frankenstein. <laughs> I he would wanted... see that. That doesn't sound like a fair fight, though. Wanted... No. no well, well, Frankenstein's the scientist, and the idea was that Frankenstein would make a giant monster for King Kong to fight. Okay. Somehow along the way, he works with a studio called Toho, the Godzilla studio. Mm -hmm. They can't secure the rights to Frankenstein, or maybe they just decided he was a more popular monster. One way or another, it's Godzilla and King Kong. Okay. I used to have that movie on VHS when I was a kid, and I loved it. Aww. Oh, I don't yeah. know if I've ever seen it. Oh, Converse about Godzilla is really good. Yeah. So after that, Toho tries to secure the rights to King Kong to make a series of Kong movies. They mm -hmm. wanted to follow up the Godzilla series with a Kong series. Yeah. Toho initially says no. But in 1967, Rankin and Bass, the American animator studio, best known for uh, Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer and all these stop-motion stuff, right. oh, yeah. had a traditional cell-animated King Kong show uh, called The King Kong Show. <laughs> Toho um, then makes a live-action adaptation of that called King Kong Escapes. So okay. they, there is a second Japanese, like official Japanese King Kong movie by Toho. So there's a reboot. Kind of a reboot, I guess. I guess you could call it a reboot. And again, there is a, a brief, about a decade-long pause of no King Kong action. It's, it's unfortunate. <laughs> Until 1976, when everyone goes bananas. B-A-N-A-N-A-S. <laughs> a man named Dino De Laurentiis, working under Paramount, I know him. seeks to make a, that's, his that's... own King Kong. You know him? I know him as a producer, oh. not in person. Yeah. <laughs> Okay. So he seeks to make his own King Kong in 1976. At the same time, Universal Studios, we'll, we'll see a lot of them in the rest <laughs> of this story, uh, are also trying to get their own Kong off the ground. Both studios, for some reason or another, believe that they have the rights to make a King Kong movie. Huh. Why do they believe that? Uh, because... Because RKO is kind of a defunct studio, and I think they made a verbal agreement with both studios. Oh. So it, it's it's the old classic, uh, ask two girls out to the prom type thing. Sitcom sitcom hijinks going on. This so less fun. Such hijinks. <laughs> so we come up with a huge legal battle of Paramount, Universal, RKO, and the Marion Cooper estate. Mm. Wow. All fighting over, hey, who actually owns King, King Kong? Kong. Um, the name of the case was Universal City of Studios Incorporated v. RKO General Incorporated. Um, and after several trials, they come upon what is known as the Cooper Judgment. 
And here's who owns what according to this judgment. Okay. RKO under Warner Brothers now owns the original movie rights. Mm -hmm. So they own all distribution rights to the original movie. Okay. The Cooper estate owns King Kong as a character. Okay. Okay. Paramount has the rights to make a King Kong movie, which they do with Dino De Laurentiis as King Kong, also known as King Kong 76. Universal also has the rights to make a King Kong movie. What the hell? Yeah. Uh, both both agreements were fair. Universal has the rights to make a movie. They do not at this time. Huh. Uh, no word on what Rankin and Bass, Toho, or the other Japanese studios own. Probably nothing. Yeah. So that's that's settled. That's settled, and it does not become a legal problem again, and definitely not a legal problem again in the immediate next segment of here. <laughs> <laughs> I don't believe you. Why are you lying? <laughs> so, we're in the late 70s. Back in Japan, a uh, long-established card game, toy, and something called a love hotel company by the name of Nintendo is looking to branch out into the new arcade game craze. Mm. So they have a uh, young artist and developer by the name of Shigeru Miyamoto looking to make a hot new game. Okay. And they are able to secure the legal rights to, you guessed it, Popeye the Sailor. Shut up. (laughs) (laughs) So they draw out and design a full arcade game where Popeye saves olive oil from Brutus. Mm -hmm. And at the last minute they decide, well, wait a minute. If this game is successful and we want to keep making it, we have to keep paying, uh, who was it? I believe it's King pictures the uh, rights to uh popeye popeye so it's like why not just make our own characters keep the game design so popeye became a carpenter named Jumpman, mm-hmm. who became a plumber named mario olive oil became a woman named pauline who would then vanish for several decades despite a couple of brief cameos until this year's super mario odyssey where she is now the mayor pauline nice. Pauline. Yeah, it's not Princess Peach. Uh, yeah. It's Pauline in the original Donkey Kong. I'm glad she's done so well for herself. Yeah. Yeah, she's doing well. She's in a, a mayor of a city named after her kidnapper. Oh, God. Um, and, <laughs> yeah, Brutus became an ape by the name of Donkey Kong. Mm-hmm. Now, the origin of the name Donkey Kong is disputed, and I didn't do any research on this because I like it better if I don't know the real answer. Okay. For a long time, the story passed around the, the, the schoolyard was that it was a typo and it was supposed to be Monkey Kong. Okay. Translation doesn't work like that. Typos, it just, that doesn't make sense. The likelier story is that Miyamoto assumed that if he called it Donkey, Western audiences would immediately understand this is a stubborn, crazy ape. Okay. My understanding is that he confused or equated donkey with jackass so i think donkey kong's name is jackass kong not positive on that i want to live in the alternate universe where it's jackass Jackass kong Kong. oh yeah no good universe jackass giant monkey (laughs) so donkey kong is released on the arcades um 1981 huge success Mm -hmm. big enough success that universal catches wind and wants a piece of the action so they sue Nintendo, claiming, hey, Donkey Kong is a blatant ripoff of King Kong, which we happen to own. Gosh. Nintendo is now in court in the case of Universal City Studios versus Nintendo Co. LTD. Um, they hire a, a lawyer by the name of John J. Kirby Jr., Nintendo does. Kirby. And that lawyer is able to prove 
by um, that uh, Universal does not own King Kong. They, in fact, own the rights to make a King Kong movie. movie. And they do this by using the ruling from Universal Studio Studios the v. RKO General. Yeah. Yeah, they use Universal's own previous <laughs> uh, legal case against them. Universal is not coming out ahead of this. No, no. I think that that's my favorite part of the story, is that they use the same case they had already not really won yeah. against them to remind them that no, no, no don't. you don't own King Kong. You have the rights to make a King Kong movie. movie. Right. So that's that's the fun thing. Um, they would have won anyway because they could have called it they could have called it parody. They could have argued yeah. that Kong's in the public domain, which it might be because there were a bunch of movies in the seventies, a bunch of Kong exploitations under names like Konga and Queen Kong mm. that didn't seem to get a lot of a legal uh, you know splashback or anything. Yeah. So, but the ruling was Universal doesn't own Kong. Nintendo's free to use the name cool uh, that's a fun little treat the uh lawyer john kirby is said to be the namesake for kirby that's what i was thinking it is said that for essentially saving the company while they were struggling to get a foothold in america nintendo rewarded him by just as an easter egg naming one of their new characters after him i don't know if that's true i do know I like that they, they bought him a sailboat named donkey kong nice. and <laughs> gave him the exclusive legal rights to name sailing boats donkey kong. <laughs> so if you see a sailboat named donkey kong and it doesn't belong to john j kirby uh there there's a there's a case there yeah good move nintendo mm-hmm so from there we get into the point where it's a really unclear who owns the name kong who owns the property of king kong in 1998, Warner Brothers Studio, who I thought owned the rights to King Kong, released a straight-to-video animated musical remake of King Kong called The Mighty Kong. What? Um, I vaguely remember that. I don't. Yeah, yeah, hold on to those memories. The movie is just about impossible to find nowadays, my understanding is. Okay. Never released on DVD. Uh, VHSs are very rare. Universal eventually makes their own King Kong movie in 2005 with Peter Jackson. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. It's pretty good. It's it's kind of a why, why bother remaking this a second time? It didn't need it the first time thing. But, hey, Universal finally finally gets a win. <laughs> <laughs> finally gets a win. The underdog. Are they making... They made the new one, right? No, no. Next point. 2017. Kong Skull Island. Yeah. Legendary Pictures working under Warner Brothers, who, again, I thought owned King Kong as a name... Um, he is not called King Kong at all in the movie. He okay. is just called Kong, which I think further <clears throat> establishes that Kong may be a free use title that anyone could do. So I'm just going to throw this out there. Everyone needs to go make a movie with a giant ape called Kong. <laughs> flood the market. Yes. Flood the market. Let's make Kong the new Sherlock Holmes. King Arthur or oh, yeah. Robin Hood. Just where every, every, every other year someone tries again to make it cool. Uh, but that's uh, more or less the end of it, except until recent developments. Um, it is 2017. What do you mean? Universal. The people that struggled so long with establishing Kong rights and mm-hmm. famously lost a huge legal battle with Nintendo are now partnering with Nintendo <laughs> to open a uh, Nintendo-themed attraction at the Universal the Studios. studios. Oh my God. And it looks like from leaked images and leaked documents... The largest attraction is, in fact, a Donkey Kong ride. Yes. 
Universal is also, with their animation studio Illumination, rumored to be working on a Super Mario movie. My gosh. So. Better than the last one? Oh, I hope so. <laughs> uh, the, the lesson here, guys, is that everything works out in the end as long as gigantic corporations continue to move closer together. Um, <laughs> um, I, that's what I got. That was beautiful. I brought it to you. That's, that's the story of who owns Donkey Kong, or who owns King Kong, and the answer is, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Alright, so when are we going to make our Kong movie? Yeah, Who's gonna write the? You'll write the script. I'll write the script. Um, he'll work on the sets and like this and like the signing. Yeah. I'll direct it. Okay. How are we gonna do? We're we gonna do CG, ape suit, stop motion, um, all tried and true techniques on Kong. <laughs> um, I'm thinking an ape suit and stop motion animation. All right. Just go back to the roots. Yeah. Um, and it'll be King Kong mm-hmm. versus uh, Cloverfield. I can get with that. <laughs> well, you're working we on need the script, to, uh, <laughs> We should take a page from the 76 King Kong. They had an actual 40-foot life-size animatronic of Kong. Nice. Wow. The thing could barely move, but it was gigantic <laughs> and it was incredible. That sounds awesome. They were going to shoot the whole movie with it, but it like couldn't walk. It could just move its arms. Now I really want a Steven Spielberg King Kong, Kong. in the style of Jurassic Park. I'd, see, I'd watch yeah, that. I would yeah. watch that, too. I'd be down. Um, all right. Oh, wait. What's up? I did look up Kentucky. Oh. It actually, it does mean, like, um, land of tomorrow or, um, like, the meadow. Okay. So, that's what it means. Yeah. So, you're sell- telling me that Tomorrowland at Disney World should it's really be, should really be, yeah, based yeah. off of Kentucky. Should be called Kentucky World. Mm-hmm. Yep. For all you, uh, Kentucky natives out there, uh, rejoice in the, the name Kentucky. Yeah. Land of tomorrow. Land of tomorrow. <laughs> Tomorrow's yesterday. Happiest place on earth. <laughs> Trademark. <laughs> the eighth uh, wonder of the world. I wouldn't go that far. Sem- that's, a, and that's, half. A, that's a Kong nickname. <laughs> <laughs> um, do you guys have anything to plug before we go? No. Mm, no. Nope. Twitter's We're really up. bad at that. We're working on it. We're working I have... on it. This upcoming Friday, I'll, I'll put on my to-do list. Okay, so maybe so by next up. next episode, we'll have a Twitter up. Mm-hmm. Um, you can always find my Twitter. It's AWM Writes. Um, go to the website, absentactivismarts.wordpress.com. Uh, buy my book. Check out my writings. I'm going to put Katie's artwork up as soon as I get it scanned. Um, anything else? Till next time. Until next time. Thanks for joining us, Cameron. Oh, thanks for having me. Anytime. I got more. I got more. Oh, awesome. gosh. I w- yes. We're coming back. All right, listeners. You have a good week, and we will see you next time.